Father, thank you for this man. Thank you, Father, for the way that he leads us. Thank you for the gift that you've given him, Father, in him bringing scripture to us and unpacking it. Father, we just ask now that you anoint him and give us ears to hear what you're saying to us. We ask it in your name. Amen. Great to see everyone. And we're going to be in Matthew 3 today, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Um, Matthew 3, verses 13 to 17. Don't worry if you don't have a Bible, it will come up on the screen as well. Uh, as Nigel mentioned, if you're new here, I'm James, one of the uh, pastors here. We're doing a series called Prepare the Way in Matthew 3. Um, just looking at preparing the way for Jesus to do work in and uh, through us in our hearts and in our lives. And today we're going to read of Jesus' first adult act in Matthew giving us an idea of what's to come in the rest of the gospel. We're going to do the whole of the um, gospel of Matthew, uh, just going through in mini-series. This is our second series. We've done Matthew 1 and 2. We're doing 3 and 4. Um, next year, next academic year, like September onwards, we're going to do um, the 7 on the Mount, Matthew 5 uh, to 7. Uh, so, uh, yeah, this is Jesus' first adult act. gives us an idea of what's to come. Uh, it's well known that Jesus dies on a cross, between sinners at the end of his life, it's less well known that he starts it off in a river of sinners. And this uh, passage that we're going to have a look at today speaks right to the heart of the, the current problem in society of identity. Who do I identify with? What causes do I identify with? Who do I identify as? Uh, all of us want to know who we are, don't we? we were, there's a search for identity going on in our hearts. I don't know if you've known those uh, little identity test kits you can get, but you can swab your mouth, can't you, and send it off in a pack, and you'll get the information back about what your DNA tells you about, uh, you know, your identity, you know, how much you are of this or of that, and so on. And uh, I was watching a program, uh, I think it's one of those uh, programs where you find out this kind of information, I think it's who do you think you are, something like that. And this young girl um, got this test kit back and realised that she was uh, 1% Jewish, which she was absolutely ecstatic about. And she, she, felt, she felt this sense of, I finally discovered who I am. And uh, she had this huge sense of delight in the fact that now I, I've got an idea of who I am. I've um, got a sense of her identity. Because all of us are on that kind of search, aren't we? We're searching for our identity and trying to understand who we are. Oliver Wendell Holmes, an American poet, says this, it's a very complicated thing trying to work out your own identity because you have too many people at the table when you're having the conversation. You've got yourself and how you perceive yourself. You've got how you perceive others perceive you. And you've also got actually how you are, really. You are lots of different voices at the table having that conversation. And today's passage will help us whittle the conversation down to who we really are in Christ. Because the problem of who we identify as is solved by who Jesus identifies with. The problem of who we identify as is solved by the who Jesus identifies with. So let's uh, read together. We're in Matthew three thirteen to 17. And Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, 
Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. I'm sure that flowed better in the original. Uh, hasn't translated well, has it? Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And, Jesus, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is, uh, we're going to have a look at what happened at Jesus' baptism and what it means for us and our identity. And if we grasp the truths that are in this passage, then this will utterly change your life. Because it will radically change who you understand yourself to be. Uh, so the first thing is Jesus identifies with us. I don't know if you've seen one of those uh, TV programs where the CEO of a company in an organization or business goes undercover and kind of does a job of one of his or hers lowest paid uh, employees. Um, I think Undercover Boss is, is one of them. And they could be quite emotional episodes, can't they, as the often uh, rich, famous, and powerful humbly identify themselves um, with those lowest in their organization. And Jesus' first passive miracle, humanly speaking, is identifying with humanity, taking on human form, making himself nothing, it says in Philippians, the form of a servant born in the likeness of men. And Jesus' first active miracle, humanly speaking, as, a, as, a, as an adult, is further identifying with humanity. It's one of humility, where Jesus goes down into the deep waters of repentance for sin with sinners. It tells us that he came from Galilee. He traveled 70 miles with purpose to do this, a sense of purpose. Just imagine the scene. John the Baptist has been baptizing people for repentance, hordes and hordes of Judean uh, repentant people have been coming down in their masses. The crowds are there coming into the waters to be baptized by John. And just imagine huge crowds, and amongst them there is Jesus. That's what Jesus does. He identifies himself with the repentant crowd. He identifies as one of us being one with humanity taking on our sin. It's what it says in uh, the Old Testament in Isaiah 53, 11 to 12. It says, The righteous one, that's Jesus, my servant, may uh, make many to be accounted righteous. The righteous one will make many righteous. He was numbered with the transgressors. Jesus is numbered amongst the crowd. He's like one of us, numbered amongst those who are coming for baptism. Jesus is saying, if I'm going to get you out of those sinful, dirty waters of baptism, I'm going to have to get in them with you. If I want to get you out of the dirty waters of baptism, I'm going to have to get in there with you. And on those um, shows where the CEO's undercover, um, it's a surprise, isn't it, when they reveal their identity. It's like a, ta-da, I'm actually your boss kind of moment. And it's a surprise that Jesus identifies with the crowd as well. Because even though he identifies with the crowd, Jesus is the great exception to the crowd. He's the one Isaiah spoke about, the righteous one. 
And that's why John expects Jesus to baptize him, not the other way around. He knows Jesus is Messiah. He says in other Gospels, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the righteous one. He's the one dying for the unrighteous. Everyone else who needs to turn to him in repentance and be baptized, but not Jesus. Jesus doesn't need to get baptized because of his sin. He needs to be baptized in order to identify with us in our sin, to redeem humanity's story, to fulfill, like it says in the passage, righteousness, to make us right with God. Jesus is baptized, one writer says, not because he shares our need, but in order to share it. Jesus is baptized not because he shares our need, but in order to share it. It's not from a consciousness of his own sin. It's for a concern for righteousness, for our righteousness. And so Jesus identifies with us in his baptism. And when we decide to follow Jesus and make him Lord of our lives, and we get baptized, we identify ourselves with him in his baptism. So baptism in that way is a little bit like marriage. In marriage, you make promises to one another and you're joined together in marriage. You share life's joys, stresses. You share a bed, uh, possibly. You share um, your home, your bank account, and so on. And when we get baptised, we're joined with Jesus. And what's true for him in his baptism is true for us. He shares all that he is and all that he has with us as we're joined to him in baptism. So given that we're joined to Jesus, if you've been baptised as a believer, you've had faith in Jesus, then what's true of Jesus at his baptism is true for you as well. So what things are true for us as well? What does it mean for us? Well, the first thing it means is that heaven is open to us. Heaven is open to us. I wonder what your um, best memory Um, of your father or parent might be and what your worst memory of your father or parent might be don't shout it out especially if they're here but my bet would be that the answer to that question if we thought deeply about it relates to a time when we were given something something was opened up to us or something was withheld from us whether that be love or affection or a gift, or time, or a special moment, or presence. It's that sense of either being let in, things being open to us, or being shut out and closed out. And the best moments will have given us great joy. There'll be special memories that we cherish about our relationship with our father or parent. And the worst will be moments of great pain, hurt, perhaps even still resentment or bitterness because of it. One of the things that hinders relationships from growing, one of the things that stunts them is that sense that someone is withholding something from you. They're not being entirely honest with you. They're holding something back, not being completely vulnerable, not letting us in, withholding their best, shutting us out. And at Jesus' baptism we see a window into the relationship that God the Father and God the Son have had with one another from eternity past. We get a window into what their... Excuse me. Uh, We get a window into what their relationship is like. The openness, the sharing of everything, 
the sense of generosity, the sense of an open heaven. It's a bit like in the story of the prodigal son, you know when he returns, how is the son treated? The son is given the ring, the robe, the fattened calf, he's given the embrace of the father, he's given everything. From eternity past, Jesus has been enjoying everything that the father has to offer. He has withheld nothing from his son. Affection, love, blessings, gifts, time with him, nothing withheld, never shut out, access and presence at every moment of history and for eternity. Uh, In scripture, we're at a point where the heavens have, have appeared closed for about 400 years. No prophets have spoken. People of God had longed for the heavens to open and for God to come down to them. It says in Isaiah 64, verse 1, this. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. And in Jesus' baptism, we see that cry answered. At Jesus' baptism, we see the expansive, generous, lavish grace of God in giving everything that he is and all that he has to us. Jesus is the one through whom the heavens open to humanity. You've been baptized. If you decided to follow Jesus, you believe in him by faith and been baptized, the heavens have opened to you. The heavens have opened to you. The whole divine world, all the blessings of God have been opened to us. And on the cross, when Jesus dies, the curtain is going to be torn in two to show that we have access to God, that heaven is open to us, full access to the Father. All the blessings of Christ that it talks about in Ephesians are given to us. Adoption into his family, we're called a child, a son of God. By son it means inheritor, not gender. Chosen by Father, experience his love for us. We're redeemed, forgiven, lavished with his grace, united with God, given a hope for the future, sealed with the Spirit, inheritors of the Father's treasures. All the promises of God for humanity find their fulfillment in Jesus. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 120, that all the promises of God find their yes and amen in him. So the great truth is, if you're a baptized Christian, if you believe in Jesus by faith and you've been baptized, identified yourself with him, the Father withholds nothing from you in Christ. You're not shut out in any way. He is not holding anything back whatsoever. Absolutely everything that he is and has, he shares wholeheartedly with you. All the blessings of Christ are available and open to you. Because in Christ there is an open heaven for us. That's the first thing. The second thing is the Spirit descends on us. Now sometimes at um, special events you get an aerial show, don't you? In the skies. Like at the coronation, we just had one, didn't we? As the royal family has stood on the balcony, what happens? The red arrows come overhead, don't they? And they produce this incredible aerial show to say that this is the son of Elizabeth II, who's died. This is the new king. This is Charles III. (laughs) He's the servant of the people of the UK. And at Jesus' baptism, we get this incredible aerial show too. This open heaven, this descending dove spirit, this voice from heaven declaring to the world, this is my son. This is the Messiah King. He's the anointed one who has my unfading delight. 
the servant son of God who's come to serve humanity. God, is, God the Father is saying, dear world, dear world, this is it. Here he is. Telling all eternity, dear world, this is it. Here he is. The Spirit is the one who points out the Son to us and reveals who he is. So baptism, I said, is like marriage because you join together. It's also like marriage because promises are made. And here Jesus makes a very public declaration, promise to live righteously, to live right, saying it's to fulfill righteousness. He's in essence saying, I want to do the will of God in every way. That's what Jesus is saying. I want to do the will of God. I want to live right in every way. That's what it says in Isaiah 42 of the servant of God in the Old Testament. That's what he promised he would be. It says, I've put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He'll live right. He'll bring justiceness and righteousness. And when we get baptised, we make a promise, don't we? We're making a public declaration that Jesus is the Lord of our lives. We're going to follow him and obey him to live right. It says that in 1 Peter 3.21, that baptism is an appeal to God for a good conscience. It's a desire to live right. And in baptism, Jesus identifies with us. And in our baptism, we identify him. We both declare this desire to live that way. And in Jesus, humanity achieves it. Where we in our baptism say, I want to live right, but, but essentially fail, Jesus declares, I'm going to live right, and he achieves it. And he achieves it on the behalf of the whole of humanity, and his achievement becomes our own. We sung it in one of the songs, didn't we? That we'd be dressed in righteousness. I can't remember the line, but you know, you, you remember what I'm referring to in the Cornerstone song, that we'd be dressed in his righteousness alone. Faultless stand before the throne. That's it, isn't it? Yeah. That Jesus has lived a righteous life, life for us on our behalf. And his righteous life becomes ours. And so it's, when he says it's fitting for us to fulfill righteousness, he's talking about you and I. He's talking about Jesus along with humanity as its representative, is going to fulfill righteousness. As he says in Isaiah 61 of Jesus, prophesies this, The Spirit of, Lord, of the Lord God is upon me to bring good news, to bind up the brokenhearted, free captives, comfort the morning, make people glad. And then it says this later on, That they may be called oaks of righteousness. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to do all this, so that those who I do this for may be called oaks of righteousness, that they may live right. Jesus' purpose in identifying with us in baptism, joining us to him through ours, is to make us into oaks of righteousness who live right and do the same for others. And the movement of this dove spirit is downward, isn't it? It comes to descends on Jesus. And that's the movement of the spirit in our lives and in Jesus' life is the Spirit descends on us to serve others. The devil likes to lead people up, doesn't he? And say, you'll live like gods. That's what he says to Adam and Eve, you'll live like gods. The dove Spirit moves us downward into serving others. And how are we going to manage to serve others? Well, the Spirit descends on us to bring about a family likeness. We're going to learn in a minute that um, the Spirit's uh, work is one of telling us that we're adopted 
into the family. The, the father has adopted us into his. And adopted children m- may not share uh, genetics with their uh, parents, but they do still share a family likeness. Um, perhaps you've been adopted or you know somebody who's been adopted. They might not genetically share the same biological similarities as their family, but they do often share a likeness. They have the same sayings, memories, little picadillos that that family has, perhaps the same habits or mannerisms as them. And this is what um, Jesus says about us, about the spirit. Um, This is in, sorry, this is Paul writing to Titus. He says, but when Jesus appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration, that's our baptism, and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly. That's why the Spirit is poured out on us, to help us live right, to live out our new identity as the children of God, who resemble their father, who get that family likeness, who are like their elder brother, Jesus. The Spirit's poured out on us richly to enable us to change, to be renewed, restored, um, so that we're redeemed, sanctified to be like him. And the Spirit empowers us to live right. And so the gentleness of the dove and its downward movement, the dove spirit, is to help us into serving others and living right. So Jesus' baptism and our identifying with him in our baptism means that we've declared that we want to live right and the Spirit helps us to do that, to live out our identity. Because our actual identity in Christ is that we're dressed in righteousness alone. Yeah? Seated in the heavenly places in Christ. Full access to the Father. And so that righteousness that is, is our identity, you are a saint, the Spirit empowers us to live out in reality. And the third and final thing is this. The Father's delight in us. Dad's um, affirmation is important to children, isn't it? I was uh, reading um, some research papers this week in preparation for this, and one of them said this, a new study suggests that affection from dads can help children grow up to be more satisfied with their lives and accepting of themselves. A recent study by Riley Marshall at Southern Illinois University and her colleagues suggests that that fathers play a unique role in nurturing their children's positive self-regard as adults. And it goes on. It was the affection of dads that really made the difference. Those who felt greater affection from their father tended to have higher self-esteem. Another article says this. Research shows that children whose fathers are genuinely involved in their lives do better in school, demonstrate sound psychological well-being, lower levels of delinquency and ultimately attain higher levels of education and economic self-sufficiency. There's um, a, a book written by Mark's... Um, oh, what's his surname? Stibbs, I think. Is it Stibbs? Stibbies. Stibbies, that's it. He wrote a book called I Am Your Father, not based on Star Wars, but based on this concept of affirmation of a father, and he gives a hu- whole load of statistics from when he wrote the book, um, which show the immense impact that fatherly affection has when you do have it and the huge impact it can have when you don't have it. 
Uh, so what I read in uh, those articles is reflected in what we see here in Jesus' baptism. There's only two places in the Gospels or in the, where, God's, where we hear God's voice to the world. And it's here and at the Transfiguration. And they reveal the single most important thing that the Father has to say about Jesus and the most important thing he has to say about you and I if we're baptised. It's a window into the Father and Son's relationship with one another that from eternity past, uh, Jesus, the Son, has been experiencing, knowing, hearing the delight of his Father in him, his pleasure with him, his affirmation. This is the most single most important thing for Jesus before he begins his ministry. This is utterly foundational foundational to him doing anything else in life. At this point, Jesus has done barely anything. He hasn't taught any crowds. He hasn't healed any sick. He hasn't handled any controversy. He hasn't taken on the sins of the world on the cross. He hasn't defeated death and overcome the grave. He's done none of that. And yet, here is baptism. Our Father wants us to know that before any of that, the Lord Jesus hears his Father's voice of delight in him, his affirmation, his pleasure. And in our baptism, this is the single most important thing we could ever know. This line in scripture is the, thi- the most important thing you could ever know. It's the thing the Father wants you to know. This is how he thinks of you. It's how he thinks of his son, and it's how he thinks of you. This is my son. And by that, he's not talking about your gender. He's talking about you as an inheritor of all that's in Christ. This is my son. This is my child in whom I delight. With you, I'm well pleased. In, through baptism, we should constantly, every day, hear the voice of the Father which screams across the skies, This is my child. This is my son in whom I delight. With you, I'm well pleased. Every morning when you wake up, if you're going to read any passage in the whole of Scripture, read that verse that tells you you're a son, you're a child of God. He delights in you. With you, he's well pleased. Before anybody wakes up and tells you and like grumbles that you haven't done the dishes or tells you you're not good enough or puts you down or discourages you, first, remind yourself of the thing that the Father thinks of you. He delights in you in Christ. And it cannot change because it's got nothing to do with what you have done or ever done or will do in the future. It can't be replaced by any mistake you make or any sin you do forever. At every moment, the father is always saying across the skies, this is my son, this is my child in whom I delight. With them, I'm well pleased. Romans uh, 8, 14 to 17 says this, for all who are led by the Dove Spirit of God, are sons of God. You've received the spirit of adoption as sons in whom the Father delights. By whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. It's the Spirit who reminds us that our Father has adopted us. Reminds us of our Father's delight in us. That's the effect of Jesus baptizing us with his Holy Spirit 
is telling us that we belong to the Father. We're his children. He delights in us. He is pleased with us. All the kindness, compassion, affection, affirmation, love, delight, and pride of the Father for Jesus, his Son, through baptism and our adoption into the Father's family is now poured out on us. That is the most incredible news you could ever discover. The Father delights in you and is well pleased with you. Jess and I watch, um, uh, just finished watching a program called Race Across the World. You've seen that? It's on BBC. The whole idea is that um, different couples, uh, there might be like brother and sister or husband and wife or friends, and they travel across the world. This time they just tra- travelled across Canada, which, to be fair, is still quite a long way to go. And there's a couple in it called, <coughs> excuse me, there's a couple in it called uh, Zainab and Mobin. And they're a young Muslim couple who've been struggling to conceive, and they're considering adoption. And uh, they've kind of been sharing this as the whole journey goes through, and you kind of feel like you're on the journey with them. And on their last journey, before they reach the end of the race and their destination, they meet this Canadian man called Brent. And it turns out in the conversation, as they just share that they're struggling to conceive, and that's actually something that they're kind of considering adoption, he tells them and shares with them that he's adopted. And he says this, I'm adopted. Uh, They, my parents, adopted four of us. We grew up knowing, but quite honestly, it wasn't until I was about 11 or 12 until I understood what adopted meant. I just thought it was uh, that I was a a special cool kid because my parents always told me I was more loved. So I always felt that love. And always felt that I was theirs. So what I'm telling you is adoption really is the greatest expression of love that I can ever think of. It really is. I don't know whether this man was a Christian, but he was preaching the gospel. Adoption is the greatest expression of love that the world has ever seen. And it's the greatest expression of love that you can ever experience. The Father adopts you in Christ into his family. says he delights in you and well pleased with you. Uh, Julian, do you want to come back up and we'll worship in a second? If you can't kick sin, if you can't break a habit, if you're struggling to work through something about your character and um, who you are that you're struggling to deal with, You don't have a sin problem, you've got an identity problem. You haven't got a sin problem primarily, you've got an identity problem. You've forgotten who you are in Christ. Our problem of who we identify as is solved by who Jesus identifies with. Like that poet said at the beginning, it's a very complicated thing trying to work out your own identity because you've got too many people at the table when you're having the conversation. You only need three people involved in that conversation. One, you need the baptised Jesus at the table, saying he identifies with you, and in your baptism you've been joined together with him. The second person you need at the table is the Spirit, reminding you that you've been adopted into the family You belong to him. You're a child of God. You're a son who has inherited all the blessings of God, that heaven is open to you. The Father has withheld nothing from you and shares everything 
with you. And the third person you need at the table is the Father, shouting from the heavens, screaming across the skies, over the world, this is my son, this is my child in whom I delight. And the question of identity becomes much simpler because we hear the voice that really matters and tells us the truth about who we are. Should we uh, just still ourselves um, before God just for a moment ask him to come and speak to us? Some of us are listening this morning and uh, as you've heard what the Father says about you in this passage, you just feel a great sense that you've been living without this, that you need a reminder that the Father calls you his son, his child, and delights in you, that he's pleased with you. So many other voices are kind of crowding in and telling you who you are. You're not good enough. You haven't done well enough. You're not doing this. You did that. You did this wrong. What about that sin? What about that habit you can't break? The enemy's constantly making you despair about the things that you've done wrong. And you just need a reminder this morning, the Father delights in you. Regardless of what you did or didn't do yesterday. And regardless of what you will or won't do tomorrow. I'd love to pray for you if that's you. Why don't you stand if you just feel in the spirit on you, just need that reminder. I'm going to pray for you. You'd stand if you just feel a sense of, I need a reminder that the Father loves me. He delights in me. Perhaps it's for the first time. You wouldn't have said you'd ever kind of just declared that you want to follow Jesus. You want to know the delight of the Father by faith. Well, should we all stand? We're going to sing together. And before Julian plays, I just felt there's uh, something I wanted to sing over us that's based on a um, an old song you will know from possibly your childhood. That, um, I saw an author had rewritten, which I thought was helpful. You know that song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know? Yeah? And he rewrote it like this. Why don't we just uh, um, maybe close our eyes, still ourselves before God and allow this truth to wash over us. Jesus loves you, this I know, for his baptism tells you so. Baptised ones to him belong. You are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves you. Yes, Jesus loves you. Yes, Jesus loves you. His baptism tells you so. Thank you, Lord God, that in our baptism we've been joined with you. Thank you that in your baptism you identified with us. Thank you that the heavens are open to us. You've withheld nothing from us. Thank you that in your baptism, in our baptism, 
the Spirit has come to us, come down to us, rested on us, reminded us that we're we're children of God, helps us to live right as we've uh, promised to you in our baptism. Thank you that in our baptism and in your baptism we hear the delight of the Father over us, saying, this is my child, this is my son in whom I delight. With you I'm well pleased. Help us hear your voice, Father, every day. In you I delight. With you I'm well pleased. Help us know the wonderful grace of God for us every day before we know anything else. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.